Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will look at chapter 4, verse 31, through chapter 5, verse 13. It is actually a story of contrasts. So let us read this passage together, beginning with verse 31 of chapter 4. The Word of God reads this way. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph who is also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceedings his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain port, part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. If you remember, following the healing of the lame man, Peter and John had been seized and taken before the Sanhedrin to give an account for this miraculous healing. 
This provided Peter with an excellent opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and call the people to personal and national repentance. However, the members of the Sanhedrin were not willing to heed this message, and after an aggressive discussion, they commanded Peter and John to never speak the name of Jesus nor teach anyone about him. Then they released Peter and John, as they had no legal, legal grounds to hold them or punish them at this time. Well, Peter and John immediately went to the place where the church was gathered and, and they shared with them all that had transpired. The believers immediately went to prayer. And what a wonderful prayer it was. They prayed for greater boldness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In response to that prayer, they were all filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, just as verse 31 states. What was the result of the fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit? Verse 31 tells us that they spoke the word of God with boldness, just as they had asked in prayer. Yes, God answers prayer. When we earnestly seek him and to pray with a humble and sincere heart, God will hear and answer our prayers. This is what he has promised in his word. Hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 91:15. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Isaiah 65, 24. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. In Luke 11, verses 9 and 10, Jesus said, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who finds, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Also in John 15, verse 7, Jesus said this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. In fact, we are commanded and even invited to pray. In 1 Chronicles 16, 11, it says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, that we, we are commanded to pray without ceasing. And in James 5, verses 13 and 14, uh, 13 through 16, it says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
And in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, Paul writes this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Well, getting back to our passage for today, we read that this new church that had been brought to life through the power and outpouring of the Holy Spirit enjoyed a sweet fellowship, a closeness that was filled with great love and joy and generosity. It kind of reminds me of those first few days, weeks, and months of, of a new marriage. There is a new and special kind of relationship and closeness between that brand new husband and wife and an overwhelming joy that fills their heart. There's a generosity of spirit toward everything uh, that each one says or does. Well, the generosity of the church was expressed toward those who had need. Part of the closeness of Christian fellowship was knowing what the other one was going through. Where there was a need, Others would joyfully meet that need, even at their own personal expense. One such person in that Christian community that is mentioned by name is a man named Joseph. He was given a nickname by the apostles, Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement, and that is a perfect description of this man, as we will discover as we progress in the book of Acts. We will learn that Barnabas played a key role in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, and also in the life of a disciple named John Mark, who would also one day become a key leader of the church in those early formative years of church history. In our passage today, we read that Barnabas was a Levite, which means that he was a member of the tribe of priests. He also was a landowner on Cyprus, an island nation in the Mediterranean Sea, and this means he had to have been a wealthy man. But for Barnabas, his possessions and wealth were only a resource to serve God and help God's people. So with joy, he sold his land and gave all of the proceeds to the apostles to meet the needs of those who had begun to experience persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In contrast to the generous and encouraging spirit of Barnabas, we next read about the actions of a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They too were members of the church, disciples of Jesus Christ. They also owned property and they had learned about Barnabas's generous gift and had observed the response of the church people, giving him the name Son of Encouragement and other lovely comments, I'm sure. Scholars are agreed that these two people made a decision based on their desire for name recognition and accolades from the church. So they decided to sell a piece of land, but 
they agreed together to give to the apostles only a portion of the proceeds from the cell to the apostles. Now, if it had only been that, and they had been upfront with the fact that they had decided to reserve a portion of their cell for their own needs, there would not have been any problem. That would have been perfectly acceptable. After all, any gift freely given to the Lord, whether great or small, if given with sincerity, will be received as an offering to the Lord. But this couple made a decision that would cost them dearly. They decided to tell the apostles that the monies they were giving was the full amount of the sale instead of just a portion of it. As they approached Peter with a monetary gift and laying it at the feet of the apostles, the Holy Spirit gave Peter a special insight, a discernment about what the real story was. Peter immediately exposed the lie and immediately Ananias dropped dead. If you read the account carefully, you will discover that the crime was not in the lack of money given, but in the fact that they had lied to the Holy Spirit about the sale. Let me emphasize this once again. They had lied to the Holy Spirit, not just to Peter and the apostles and the church. I'm reminded of the time in David's life, King David back in the Old Testament, when he had sinned greatly. He saw a beautiful woman, her name was Bathsheba, the wife of one of David's mighty men, his name was Uriah, who held a special position in David's army. Well, David saw Bathsheba, desired her, and had her brought to him. The end result was that she became pregnant. And then he tried to cover up his crime by conspiring to have her husband, Uriah, killed. Nine months later, Nathan the prophet confronted David with these sins. David, to his credit, fully confessed and repented of his sin. That prayer of repentance is recorded in Psalm 51. David's prayer shows us what true repentance looks like. But for the purposes of our lesson today, I want to focus in on what he confessed in the first four verses, and most especially in verse four. Beginning with verse one, David prays, have mercy on me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David understood what Peter had just expressed, that when we sin, we sin against God 
first and foremost. Yes, we also sin against others many times, but the sin is first against God. As I said previously, when Ananias' sins were exposed, Ananias immediately fell down dead. Peter instructed some young men who were present to take him out and bury him. And same-day burials were what was practiced in those days. But about three hours later, Mrs. Ananias came to Peter, thinking that she was going to meet her husband, and presumably she also expected to receive her accolades for their great generosity to the brethren. But once again, the Holy Spirit gave Peter insight, and so he questioned her. Sadly, her response was the same as her husband's, and once again, Peter charged her with lying to the Holy Spirit. When she heard that word of truth, she also immediately fell down dead and was carried out and buried with her husband. This is an incredibly sad story, but it is also very instructive. You might want to ask, why was the punishment so harsh and unyielding? What we need to understand is that the church had just been born. The early decisions, choices, and actions of the body were crucial in laying a solid foundation for the generations to follow. So God took aggressive action, a a type of shock factor or tough love in order to redirect their attention to the seriousness of obeying God in all things. Verse 11 tells us that great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And that is as it should be. We must have a holy awe of God. This principle of getting it right from the start was first established in the days of Joshua. The Israelites had just crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land after 40 long years of wandering in the wilderness. They were now entering into their inheritance, the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The first city they encountered was Jericho, and That story has become one of the favorites of the church because of the unorthodox battle plan that God required so that the city would be defeated by God's power alone. And it was totally defeated and destroyed, just as God said it would be. Well, Joshua's army was feeling pretty good about such a fantastic victory, and the next city that they would encounter was Ai. Ai was a small town. And so the commanders told Joshua that they wouldn't need to send out the entire army for the defeat of the small town. Unfortunately, Joshua didn't pray before he agreed with the commanders. And so they went to battle and were soundly defeated. Why were they defeated? Because someone, Achan by name, had greatly sinned during the Jericho campaign and hid his crime. No one knew about it except 
God. Now, if Joshua had prayed, God would have revealed that there was sin in the camp and they would not have experienced another victory until that sin was exposed and the man was judged. Because Joshua did not pray, many men died that day and the nation was in great distress. The Bible tells us that an investigation was made. The guilty man and his crime was exposed and he was sentenced to death for his crime. Once again, you may want to ask, why was the punishment so severe? Because this was another new beginning, this time for the nation of Israel and for God's mighty work among his chosen people. Israel was now finally in the promised land and would now be established as a nation among the nations of the known world. A firm foundation had to be established and a holy fear of God had to be etched into their minds and hearts. You can read the full account of this story in Joshua chapter seven. Well, I love the way one commentator's application puts this, applies this principle. He writes, in Old Testament times, most people who confessed even heinous crimes were forgiven. Why was Achan not? Several factors enter into the answer. First, this was not a freely given confession. Achan confessed only after the lot had shown his guilt. We must also consider the character of God. Achan's deed was not stealing, but an intentional, deliberate desecration of God's holy things. The Hebrews had to learn the truth of God's holy character at the outset, or the conquest of Canaan would fail. The Bible relates four instances of sudden death before God at a critical moments in salvation history. Nadab and Abihu at the inauguration of the priesthood, mentioned in Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. The death of Achan as Israel provided or moved into the promised land, as found in Joshua chapter 7. Uzzah at the moving of the ark to Jerusalem, you can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. And Ananias and Sapphira at the founding of the church in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. These examples remind us that we are responsible to a righteous God. Fortunately, God does not normally bring instant justice on all who treat him and his commands casually, but the fact of his mercy does not cancel the reality of his justice. Rather, it gives us an opportunity to repent. The fear of the Lord is commanded in scripture and it is vital for us to remember this. This fear is not the kind of fear one might feel in the face of danger or abuse. No, but rather a fear that is born out of an attitude of awe and a humble respect for who God is 
as the mighty and holy God, creator of the heavens and the earth, and the one who rules over the nations and rules over the lives of men. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 through 14, we read this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, we read, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Remember, when you have the right attitude toward God, He will respond with love and grace and bestow great blessing upon you just as the Bible promises. We can read about that in Psalm 31, verse 19. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. And in Luke 1, verse 50, we read, And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. We need to remember that God is to be feared. It is true that he is a God rich in love and abounding in mercy, but it is also true that he hates and judges sin. The good news of the gospel is that because of what Christ has done on our behalf, we can boldly come before him and repent of our sin and we will be forgiven. Well, I have one last thought, and that comes from verse 33 of our passage today. Let's read it again. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The apostles and the church prayed for boldness. As we read earlier, the Holy Spirit fell on them and gave them great boldness as they went out in obedience to Jesus' command to be his witnesses to the world around them. This verse tells us that, number one, the apostles spoke with great power. Once again, let me stress that this great power came from the Holy Spirit and not from themselves. Two, the Christians were indeed witnesses 
and they boldly spoke about what they knew firsthand, that being three, that Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection is always included in the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a vital and key part of the gospel message. We would do well to follow their example. This verse also says that great grace was on them all. Grace, God's favor, God's blessing was resting upon them during these early days, giving them favor among the people. This would not last for long, as very soon aggressive persecution will begin to break out against the church. But for now, during this honeymoon phase, the church experienced blessings and peace as they continued to be faithful witnesses, leading many, many people to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In conclusion, let me share something from the writings of Dr. Ironside. We are told, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Well, we too have heard them. God grant that great fear will come upon us. Fear of what? Fear that we shall dishonor the Spirit of God by pretending to be what we are not, by pretending to be genuinely devoted when we are full of hypocrisy and unreality. Oh, if the Spirit of God speaks to any of us and we are saying in our hearts, I haven't been genuine, I haven't been real. Shall we not face God about it today and by his grace put all unreality out of our lives and turn wholly to him as the one alive from the dead? Oh, grant that each one of us may renew our consecration to God if we are conscious of unreality and failure in the past that we may say, by his grace, I want to be all for Christ. I want to be real, that others may be reached by my testimony and brought to know my Savior too. Heavenly Father, this is the prayer of my heart. And I pray, O oh God, that this would also be the prayer of the heart of every person who is listening today. Forgive us for the times that we have not been real, that we have not been completely honest with you and with others around us and even with ourselves. Forgive us, O oh God, and cleanse us from this unrighteousness. Make us, O oh God, by your power and by your spirit, your holy people, your faithful witnesses, eager to do good, eager to be uh, a testimony to the world that is around us of your love and your grace and your mercy and your truth. Place upon our lips the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are looking to you and trusting in you. And we say thank you, O oh God, for what you are going to do. Thank you. 
We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, until next time, my friend, may our holy God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ continue to reveal himself to you and give you a renewed passion to be his faithful witness. Mm -hmm.